Okay, very excited back here with uh, Commissioner Jim Cockrell, the Public Safety Commissioner. How are you doing? Good, Jeff. I appreciate your willingness to sit down and talk public safety in our great state of Alaska. Yeah, I know I've talked to Commissioner Bruni, Commissioner Crum, so I'm trying to work my way down. And you're kind of new, and what I wanted to first bring up was I was looking at your kind of bio, and you seem, you seem to hate retirement. Well, it's kind of what my wife says, too. Um, yeah, I joined the department in 1983, went to Soldatna, um, spent four or five years there, and then went to um, Cordova during the oil spill, spent five years in Cordova, and, and then eventually um, retired in 2004, came back. Uh, and I was a major of the Alaska State Troopers when I retired in 2004 after almost 23 years. Then um, came back under the rehire bill as a road trooper for major to road trooper for three years, retired again. Road trooper is like a, like a patrol trooper? Patrol trooper in the peninsula. And then um, retired, went to work for a private security firm overseeing critical infrastructure on the Kenai Peninsula. Did that for about five, six years. Um, Commissioner Masters called me to come back to be the colonel of the Alaska Wildlife um, Division, which I did for a short period of time. And then the next thing you know, I was running both divisions, the wildlife and the Alaska State Troopers. And eventually I ended up just being the colonel of the Alaska State Troopers for about four years, retired, and then um, Governor Dunley staff called me and asked if I'd be interested in interviewing for the current job I, I held. And after some thoughts and considerations with my wife, and I decided to go ahead and at least do the interview process. And the next thing you know, I was offered the job of the commissioner of the Alaska Department of Public Safety, which is a great honor and privilege. Um, it's, it's like the, the top top cop, right? That's what they say. I don't feel that way. But I was on the airplane with you a few weeks ago, and you, you were wearing the uniform. You had the full full full, full regalia. You had the uniform on. Um, yes, on occasion, depending on, you know, what my, my day is like, I do wear a uniform, and I expect my deputy commissioner to wear a uniform because it, again, signifies the importance of the position, but also the importance of the the last state troopers to the so, state. So as commissioner, you were a former trooper, now you're commissioner. Were, were you like resworn or I mean you can how does that work now are you considered like a cop still or yes I'm commissioned um I did take the oath of office um once I was hired and I've taken it several times um since then they give you back the gun and the badge and everything yes (laughs) yeah so so okay so there's a director of the wildlife troopers and there's a director of the troopers and then there's the commissioner so those two folks now report report to the commissioner right that and you used to be the Head of the, the state troop, both, I guess, right? Uh, uh, correct. And yes, both, all the directors of of department, um, including statewide services, but our two colonels report directly to me. Yes, sir. So were you, uh, were you involved in the TV show during all this time? You know, I wasn't involved. I was by then too old and too slow, so I don't think I was that photogenic. So like that, were you in, uh, logistics or any of that? You know, when I was the colonel, this TV show was still ongoing. Um, I was actually the one that actually canceled the TV show after five years. And oh no, were, were you, that was the best show ever. That was of all the shows we have in Alaska. That was like, why'd you cancel it? Was it well? You know, the department at that time we had the Gila One crash that we lost um, mail and. Um, Tage Toll, Trooper Toll, and a civilian on a search and rescue. And shortly after that, we lost our two troopers in Tanana. 
And oh, yeah, I remember that. That was, you know. So, and the Trooper Show was ongoing, and it was, my opinion, it was time for us to focus on what our mission is. And, you know, law enforcement never should be TV officers, never should be TV stars. And I just felt we needed to regroup as an agency, focus on the good things that we do, and focus on our mission. And I think that, personally, I, I think, thought the TV show at that point in time was getting in our way to doing that. I mean, it was a tough decision. We even met with the production company. They flew up to Alaska to see if they could. we would change our mind. And um, for the better good of the department, I felt that it was time for the show to go away. Now, I, I've heard that was like a recruiting tool. Is that is that true? You know, in the beginning it was, and we've actually got troopers on the road right now that were recruited, I guess, through the show. Um but in the end result, we got lots of numbers, but not really a lot of serious applicants. Um, so I don't know that, I think in the beginning we had some huge bumps. We were getting over 2,000 applicants, but by the time you weeded them out and all the t- staff time it took to do the background and stuff, there were very few that I'm sure you actually got some, I'm sure you got some real live wires applied. We, we had some interesting, um, <laughs> our recruitment guys had some interesting stories. That could be a separate show, like people who apply for the troopers from the troopers TV show. That could be a whole different Absolutely. Program. Yeah, it would be interesting, you know, as they're sitting on their couch drinking beer and watching our troopers chase people up and down the highway. It, it looks exciting at the time, but once they fill out the application and understand the commitment that the department has in vetting our, our troopers and the importance of our mission around the state, um, a lot of that waned and mm-hmm. they ended up not following through with their I mean, Alaska, so I grew up in New Mexico, which is, not you know, it's the fifth biggest state, so it's a big state, but... It's like there's other big states, there's still roads, and even if you're kind of positioned remotely, you can still get on the road and drive. Whereas Alaska, I mean, people can get stationed places where they, I mean, they can never, they can never, they have to fly out, right? Or even to go to a community, they have to fly in. So some of these initial, it seems like people I know who have gone to the troopers, they start by getting stationed in these really remote places. Is it pretty common, the more remote places? Well, if you kind of want to go from the process of a trooper, you know, they go to the academy, they come out to one of three places for training. That's the Kenai Peninsula, Soldotna, the Matsu Valley, um, or Fairbanks. Once they get through the training process, which takes a minimum of two years, they can certainly go to rural Alaska. They can either bid into a rural post. We've got a bidding process by seniority, or sometimes the department taps them on the shoulder because we don't have anybody bid it. Say, you need to go to this place that's kind of how i ended up in cordova right after the oil spill um so there's different ways but you know rural alaska to the alaska state troopers is kind of our our heart and soul and it always will be i mean the troopers were founded um right after statehood to provide police services to areas that couldn't provide police services from themselves and as as the state has grown we've gotten cities that have their own police departments um apd you know the kenai police has I think, and then you look at the two in the Matsu Valley and in Fairbanks. So, so we still we still garner that that commitment to rural Alaska and the importance rural Alaska brings to the the division of the Alaska State Troopers and Alaska Wildlife Troopers. I know lately in the last couple of years, the VPSO program has really been in the you know legislature focus and the news. What what's kind of the status of that? And um, I know they're trying to get more in the budget and they're just trying to expand that. I know in some. A lot of these communities, there's no, and the ADN's done a lot of work on some of these communities where there's just no really police presence. Um, and, you know, we're trying to fix that. The VPSO program is an important part of our department. There are ears and eyes of a lot of our communities, 
And, and they do more than that. I mean, everybody focuses on their law enforcement mission, but they do search and rescue. They do medical assist. Um, they, they're kind of a jack of all trades. They're actually, are, if you want to say community policing, they fit that model to a T. It's, it's similar to what a Bobby would do in, um, in London, mm-hmm. where they have a real small beat, um, and they walk around. That's what the BPSOs do. They're uh, a presence, a safety net. They provide us with a huge amount of logistical support. They're the first responders a lot of time in the villages to a sexual assault, a homicide. You know, we try to get them to hold the scene, um, collect evidence, and then till, until Trooper gets there. <clears throat> and as you know, sometimes it could be hours to several days, depending on our weather situations. And you touched about rural Alaskan airplanes. You know, the department is reliant of aircraft that our department has 42 airplanes yeah, some, some of the troop a lot of the troopers out there are their pilots right they have a plane that's their kind of ca- squad car you know it, it is our squad car however we've gotten away from a lot of the areas that have trooper pilots and there's some reasons for it the wildlife troopers still have a contingent of troopers that are actually flying the airplanes but for the division alaska tri- state troopers because we're flying a little bit more higher complex aircraft, the fact that we want them to focus on, we, so we've hired civilian pilots, you know, non-commissioned, that they're professional pilots, because what happens is if we have a, a major event in a community or in one of our villages and the trooper's flying the airplane, he's got his backup troopers, he's running through all this, and mm-hmm. it just puts too much load and stress on that trooper to fly the airplane, worry about how he's going to land, you know, the weather and all these other things. And not only that, at some point in time, we're going to have to take somebody into custody if they're shooting up the, um, the village or something. We just had an event two weeks ago up out of the YK Delta where a person came into the school in the middle of the night, chased the janitor and his helper out with the firearm and basically we put the village in lockdown until we could get there we flew our um, SWAT team we call it CERT team up to to that village to CERT it's it's the SWAT team okay we just don't call it SWAT we'll just for this interview we'll call SWAT team everybody (laughs) everybody understands that but you know we flew our our um, SWAT team up there the Bethel troopers responded and we ended up resolving that peacefully but we do those type of things um, I'll say, unfortunately, routinely, um, where we've got somebody in one of our smaller communities with a handgun, um, usually intoxicated, shooting up the the community, the, the village, if you want to call it that, and then we have to respond. Mm-hmm. So I was going to, um, we're on the topic already, I moved here in 04, and it seems like ever since I've moved here, there's always been this focus on kind of, you know, some of these sexual assault, domestic violence, some of these problems in rural Alaska, and everybody, every governor, they always talk about it, and you know, there was this choose respect and there was all, but it just it never seems to really get, it, maybe it is getting, I don't know, is it getting better? But it doesn't seem to be getting better. And I guess what's the answer? I mean, I know the governor right now has proposed all these um, initiatives and um, bills on, on dealing with this issue, issues, but I mean, how, how do we, you know, solve, I mean, we're like worst in the nation, I think, on a lot of these statistics, unfortunately. Um, to, to that question, unfortunately, Alaska ten, continues to be the um, per population has the highest rate of sexual assault and domestic violence in the country. And, you know, being in law enforcement for as long as I have, it, it's so sad. I do think that we've made some progress. I know that the, the governor and I talk about it. That's one of his priorities. And I applaud him for his, 
his knowledge of rural Alaska and the issues out there. Um, he, he, he taught out there for a long time. Actually, 83 is when I think when he came to Alaska, when you became a trooper, he be, became a teacher. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. But it's good to have a person that you can go to that's actually experienced that. Spam, not Maybe not sexual assault, but experienced village life, rural Alaska. Um, so we can have some, what I consider some really good conversations about how we provide more, I'll call it police presence in, in those areas and how we can look at trying to reduce those rates. And it's not, and I've said this many times, it's not totally just reliant on law enforcement. Um, everybody says because we have these rates, we need, and we do need more troopers and more law enforcement in a rural area. There shouldn't be a small community that doesn't have a law enforcement presence, whether it's a BPSO or a trooper. Uh, however, there's got to be a I'll call it a cultural switch. Um, the, the communities also have to mm-hmm. take part in that. They have to be able to provide us information. They have to be able to tell these people, that, you know, beating up your girlfriend, your wife is not acceptable. We're not going to accept it. Until those changes are made, we're still going to be responding because we're not preventing, we're responding. And then we end up putting a you know, person in jail and move them out of those communities, and our jails are full of them. I had a friend um, I met years ago who came up here from Lower 48 and taught in rural Alaska for six, I think almost six years. And I met her, um, she's back at you know, Anchorage at one point, we kind of became friends and she um, she couldn't do it anymore. I mean, she just told me these like, kind of horror stories of uh, what she witnessed out there and, and she ended up going back to Lower 48. But it um, it just sounds so tough, you know, for especially for the kids that are having to deal with these things. And are these, I mean, do you think these bills, the governors, I mean, they have a lot of them focus on these issues. You know, I think there are every little bit, every little tool that we get helps in our, our process of holding people accountable for, for their actions. I mean, his bills address his people's first, first initiative, um, addresses many things, domestic violence, um, sex trafficking, um, missing murdered, missing indigenous people. Um, so first of all, one of the things it does, it highlights the issues. And that's, you know, we can talk probably a long time about the Choose Respect initiative, but it did make a difference. If you look at the um, the um, victimization survey that the University of Alaska did five years prior to when Choose Respect came and then mm-hmm. the five years afterwards, you can see a, a decrease in um, intimate um victim violence and so, so when you highlight that you put it out in our communities you know, rural and urban you know, it, it does make a difference and you know unfortunately um that went away with the last administration that's the problem with these four-year cycles is you know one administration does focuses I mean, on one thing and the next one and um so to get back to it i th- you know his his initiative um focuses on some of the tough issues in Alaska, some of the issues the state has to face that hasn't done a very good job of facing. Um, because, again, Alaska is considered the most dangerous state in the nation, and per capita, our, our um, violent crimes are higher than any state in the nation, except um, per capita, We've seen some huge decreases in property crime in other areas of the state, but we're still, even with those decreases, we still are in the top leaders when it comes to violent crime. What was it like in 83? You became a trooper, right? So that was still, there was still the oil boom was still going on. The initial, I mean, the the crash didn't come until I think 86. So that must have been, I mean, there was money. There was still coming the tail end of the oil boom. What was it like back then? Well, I think the, um, 
Well, actually, by 85, the oil tanked. I actually got a, a layoff notice during that time period. The colonel came down and said, you know, we're going to cut. And we've actually even, um, Joe Masters, who be, became commissioner, he got laid off. We, we actually <laughs> laid off troopers back in the mid, or, mid to late 80s. Um, but I will say, you know, the violent crime continues to grow. Um, we're a state that, and I'm not, we're a state that everybody has a firearm. So our firearms crimes are higher than a lot of other states. And, you know, we've kind of caught up with the rest of the world when it comes to, to crime. They, you know, they've made it to Alaska. Alaska's always had a high rate of violent crime, but it, it continues it continued to grow back in the, I'll call it the mid eighties to where we're at right now. And there's several factors I think to it. We, we, our population has grown. Um, a lot of people have even back prior to my coming on a lot of people from lower 48 that, that were hiding from law enforcement thought they could come to Alaska and hide out and not get arrested. And, and that's harder for them to do now with the technology. And I've heard some, I've heard so many stories of people because before the systems weren't like state, you know, driver's licenses or student loans or debt, you know, back then in the 70s, they still weren't, in the 80s even weren't connected. So people could come up here and kind of hide out and nobody would really know where they were and there wasn't a lot of information sharing. And, and you're right, now it's, you know, no matter where you are, it's pretty easy to locate somebody. Yeah, you know, and we were always, again, just kind of my opinion, we're always five, we were always five to 10 years behind the, the national trend, whatever was going on in the United States the regular United States, whether it was drugs, drug abuse, or different types of drugs or something, or gang violence, you know, we were always behind that power curve. However, nowadays with the internet, with cable TV all over the state, we're basically keeping up with the rest of the United States when it comes to crime trends mm-hmm. and and stuff. It's kind of, you know, I've lived in Alaska all my life, and you see all these people move to Alaska because they want to get away from things, whether it's California or, or whatever, but they want they want to bring everything they had in those states, whether it's huge stores or, you know, um, restaurants up, or anything else. I grew up in New Mexico, so I was born in 84. We moved there when I was a baby, so I grew up there. And in the 90s, there was this kind of wave of very similar people from California would, you know, for whatever reason, traffic or, you know, housing costs. But you're right, they would absolutely kind of like – my dad would always say they they bring their problems, you know, <laughs> and they have. And Alaska's been that, and you know we're a very transient population. Um, so, so and with the airlines coming in and out, I mean, most of our our dope in Alaska is coming either through the U.S. mail or through Alaska Airlines as mules are bringing our dope um, from our cartels in Mexico and elsewhere to to Alaska. So it's opened up a whole whole host of different issues that the state has to deal with. And the state, frankly, when it comes to law enforcement, pretty slow at reacting to that. Um, if you look at when I joined the troopers in 83, we had um, AST had 308 authorized positions. Currently we're at 315. When I was so we uh, gained, the, po- the population's gone up way more. Yeah. And our that. jurisdictions and complexity of crimes went way up. When I was the Colonel, I, we were at um, 328 and then in one year, we lost 28 positions totally. In two years, we lost 40 or 30, well, actually 40 when you count the wildlife troopers in two years. And those are un- unacceptable losses. We're still feeling the mm-hmm. ill effects of that. And it'll take us, because it takes us so long to recruit and, um, and, and hire new troopers, train them and everything. And for us to lose over 10% of our 
our commission, um, you know, was negligent. And really, when you look at the whole whole process, the budget wasn't that bad that they had to take those huge, huge cuts to the department that we're still failing now. And we will for for quite a while. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. So what, during one of your confirmation hearings last year, you they talked about defined benefit. And you had, you had said, I think, I think you had said that we are recruiting, uh, we're recruiting center for the lower for, for the western states where people come up here and get trained and do their vest in five years and then they go to like some other state because of our retirement system so maybe talk a little bit about that and, and i know there's bills floating around and they're talking about fixing the you know going back to a more, a more defined benefit for police and fire but tell, tell me like is that part of the reason why those folks left or well i can speak specifically when i was the colonel we lost several um, troopers that had five years because under the current plan you know they have 501k and you know the state can contribute to that but after five years they can take that and do whatever they want so as the, the time period I was colonel I saw several of our troopers go to um, King County Sheriff's Department was paying a lot more than we were um, Bend Oregon I mean all over the western states they were going and actually they were coming in at a seniority rate where they left our department so if they had six years in they would come to say the king county sheriff's department at that pay rate um so, so it certainly had an effect i mean the um the last the, the um the previous administration and this administration has addressed the trooper pay because when i was the colonel we we were eighth highest paid so there was seven other police departments that were making more than our Alaska State Troopers were. So now we're on par or just a little over the Anchorage Police Department. Usually oh, yeah, seven, seven other in the state. Yeah, we were. So it seems like the troopers should get the most. I mean. You would think we'd at least be one of the yeah. top paying, and we are now. So they've addressed those issues. And, you know, the the, the, the legislature is going to have to sit down and decide if they want to continue to pay for law enforcement officers, not just the troopers or firefighters to get, come to Alaska, get trained up, spend five years here and take all, everything they, all the training, every, everything they got in their 401k and move it to another, to somewhere else in lower 48. You know, that's a policy decision that our legislators are going to have to decide on. Well, there's one, one thing the, the Valley legislators hate. I've said this before is like, they should start paying for their own police. Because, I mean, the troopers kind of cover a lot of the Matsu Valley, right? Yeah. Like I said, um, I don't know if it was this meeting or the last one, but, you know, the, the, essentially our patrol area in the Matsu Valley is the size of either Arkansas or West Virginia. It's whatever state you like the best. But really, when you look at that, sometimes we have maybe three to five troopers patrolling an area. Did you think if you lived in West Virginia that you would have three or five three or five Troopers patrolling that yeah. whole state. That's what we're faced in so, so the Matsu Valley. So the Matsu, so the Anchorage, we kind of, we, I live in Anchorage, we pay our own, we have our own police force, and I think Wasilla has a police force, and but the Matsu, the borough doesn't have a police force. So the troopers cover, essentially cover cover the needs of the borough, right? Yes, That's, outside the two cities we do. But I guess, I mean, on some of like the, I remember the trooper shows, sometimes the Wasilla police would show up, or the Fairbanks, they kind of work there was, I guess, a partnership or they'd work side by side on, on some of these cases or some of these calls? It's not unusual for us to um, partner up with our local law enforcement, whether it's the Kenai or Soldatna Police helping our troopers out. And we'll do the same thing, kind of reciprocal. Um, same with Wasilla and Palmer. And then, you know, the Fairbanks um, Police Department spends a lot of, we spend a lot of time interacting between ourselves. I mean, Alaska's, in a sense, for law enforcement, it's a small community, but we're a pretty tight community 
and we'll always help out the other agencies, both on the federal side and on the state side. So, so Alaska is also different. And like I grew up in New Mexico and they'd have county sheriff election or they'd have, they have, you know, like counties or they have sheriffs and we have, we have the troopers and other states have troopers as well. But we're, I mean, I think we're, I feel, I feel like we're a little unique than a lot of other states as far as our state police functions or even local police as well. You know, for the troopers, in a lot of places in the lower 48, um, the, the trooper agencies, they're per, pretty much highway patrol. They drive up and down the expressways or the back roads and do traffic enforcement. Uh, and then they have the sheriff's department fill in and the counties, and then they also have the local police departments. In Alaska, we are unique. Our troopers do everything. You know, our, our patrol troopers could, depending on where they're at, and um, investigate a homicide or um, any other complex crimes and we expect them to do a lot more than just drive up and down the road and they do they're they're a full service essentially um, law enforcement agency we are and um, we do incredible things every day see some pretty horrific things almost every day but our troopers keep keep moving forward and they care about the people that they're serving and I'm really proud of this agency I'm proud of what our troopers do from both divisions and I'm proud of you know, what all our employees do for the department because we have a lot of behind-the-scenes, I'll call them civilian staff, that support our trooper law enforcement operations. And a lot of times they're more dedicated than some of our troopers are because they just, once you get into this, um, our mission, it's hard not to get totally emotionally involved in it because we are touching so many people's lives every day, either good or bad. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... You know, our uniforms, and you know, when you look at how symbolic um, our uniforms are, the troopers' uniforms, what it represents, you know, the people that's died wearing those uniforms. I mean, it's it's a huge statement when we can go into a small community and everybody looks at that trooper as their ray of hope, you know, their, their, their beacon to go take care of the problem that they're at. Many times we've got that no other police department would do. We'd be sending a trooper into one of our communities by himself or herself where any other police agency would take three or four um, police officers for backup. We just don't do that. Yeah, whenever I see a trooper, I mean, they very, they very much stand out. The uniform, the very, I mean, it's all, they always stand out as a as, um, very different kind of presence than the local police where they, where they kind of look and the way they present themselves. It's um, You're right. I think, I think people see a state trooper, they have a – a sense there of uh, you know, safety and something pretty pretty powerful. It is a powerful sim- symbol, and if you look at from statehood on, all the all the um, things the troopers have been involved in, from the building of the the pipeline where we had troopers up and down the pipeline, and some of our camps. If you look at the um, '64 earthquake, my dad was a trooper then in Glen Allen. He went to Valdez for several weeks because Valdez was basically wiped off the map, providing services. Um, some of the serial killers that we've we've dealt with, um, our interactions in our smaller communities. I mean, we're we're such a big part of Alaska history, and we always will, and we'll continue to make history. Didn't some of the true? I think not just the troopers, but a lot of the folks that were doing state or government jobs during the pipeline, they'd get hired to work work for the for the companies, right? The oil companies. They they they'd have to there'd be a problem trying to keep people on board for government jobs when there was so they could make so much more money in the private sector. You know, they're, and that's true. And, you know, that's when the troopers really got their first big pay bump was during the pipeline days because everybody that was a trooper was going over and making more money as a security guard. 
I, I do know remember my dad back in the late sixty. I'm like 67 when we were stationed at Fairbanks. He worked a summer job because they just didn't pay. They paid like 800 bucks a month. So he would take all his personal leave, his leave, vacation time. He worked construction. Oh, wow. And, and so things have, have changed, and, and rightfully so, because, again, we asked a heck of a lot from our troopers. So your dad was a trooper, and then um, I just made this connection recently, and I should have known because of the name, but now he's been the head of the – he's worked for the governors for a long time doing security, right? He's been in charge of the governor's um, security details since the she- halfway through the Sheffield administration. Yes, sir. Wow. So, so now you're kind of probably when you're in the Capitol, you might run into him. <laughs> I might. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't travel as much as he used to. Um, but I'm proud of my dad. He, you know, he certainly set the standard hard high for me, and he was still a trooper when I went through the academy and came to my graduation, gave me my my badge. But every time the instructor didn't think I was living up. They say, man, what would your dad think about this? Yeah, I was going to ask you when you were going through all this. I mean, they probably all knew your dad, right? They did. So was that was that? It made it more difficult. Actually, I was going to. That's what I was going to ask. Did it make it kind of like you're? Maybe they're looking at you a little more. They expect, yeah, expect, and then they'd call me. What do you you want me to call your dad? (laughs) If you could need your test scores a little bit higher. So you you must have been pretty young when you became a trooper, then. Yeah, I just turned twenty two. Wow, so you, you right out of kind of, were you going to college or? I went, got a two-year degree at the University of Cincinnati and then um, was going through a four-year degree with public um, poli-sci and criminal justice with the University of Alaska Anchorage. And, you know, they called me to come be a trooper. So I dropped out of college then and, and didn't go back to college after so, that. So I think you're maybe second or third, one of your retirements, you're working for Marathon, right? You were doing security? I was. I wasn't doing security. I was overseeing their security um, because of regulatory requirements, critical infrastructure. I was overseeing the security program that they had. Yes. So you're doing that. That's your one of your, I think, second retirement or maybe third Yeah, something like that. And yeah. then the governor gets a hold of you and he just, does he call you or he says, Hey, we're, we need a commissioner. Well, when I don't know if it was that dramatic. Um, I had one of his staffers call um, from boards and commission, ask if I'd be interested in interviewing for the position. And I was actually out walking my dog um, by the Kenai river that day when I got this phone call. And so I talked to my wife and um, we decided that, and I, Honestly, too, I had many people from the department calling or texting me, taking me out to lunch. She's saying, "You really need to, you really need to consider this." So, so I didn't have to buy lunch for a while. And, That's pretty uh, good, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess you take. Can't complain you can. about that. And, um, but bottom line is, I got a call. I told him I would interview. I submitted my resume. Um, I interviewed with the the boss at, at least twice, and then we had some off off conversations. And one of the things that. He, internally that I wouldn't have taken the job if I didn't think we were compatible and our mm-hmm. priorities weren't compatible. And, you know, when I listed off my priorities, they were in line with his priorities, domestic violence, sexual assault, drug enforcement, um, you know, not going to cut the, the troopers budget. Like we saw you know, in the previous administration, those were really stressful days when you're making decisions of what positions you're going to cut out. You know, we did away when prior administration. So I didn't want to go back to coming back to the department and not growing the department. We have a, a, um, a target where we want to want to be in next three to five years for a number of troopers. We're like I say, we're currently at 
315 AST troopers. We want to get that up to 415 in the next wow. four to five years. And then a, the wildlife troopers have 88 authorized positions. I want to get them up to um, 100. And then um, the VPSOs right now, we're at 55 funded positions. The governor's added 10 to that. So it gets up to 65. And my goal is to get up to first step is 100 and then get up to where Governor Parnell wanted is 120. So, so when you get, for example, 100 applicants for the state troopers or for the wildlife troopers, how many of those applicants actually become a trooper? About three, three to 4%. So I was going to, I was going to guess 10, but wow, it's really low. It is. We, that's why we need a pool of, you know, we used to get applicants. Most of them used to be, you know, when I went to the academy, we were all Alaska residents. We were all, you know, it was a trooper academy. Now it's a Department of Public Safety Academy, so we train all municipalities, the VPSOs, except for the Anchorage Police Department. So, so things have changed. We've, we rely heavily on laterals, people that have our current law enforcement officers, especially from other states, coming in. Uh, so we rely heavily on, on them. But we have a fairly, um, well, we've got a really stringent vetting process and around 4%. So if we had 1,000 applicants, you can percent of that would be would be given job offers generally speaking so you need to get to another hundred people you need thousands of applicants yes base best case scenario yes and now uh, our, our, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you uh, how many people are applying from in-state not versus out of state is it in split or is it no i would and i don't have a percentage i could get that to you but it's substantially more from out of state than in state we're not seeing the interest that we used to see with the troopers in state you know a lot of people don't want to be a law enforcement officer anymore. I mean, when you got these um, technical positions, whether it's IT or anything else, or even on the slope, you know, they're making a lot more than our troopers are and sitting in an office or not out wrestling with somebody on the side of the highway yeah. doing what the drunk throwing up in the back of your patrol car. I, I went on a, things. I went on a, I was president of my community council um, for a long time and I went on a ride, ride along. I've been on a few, but mm-hmm. I did one in Anchorage on a, a Friday night, so like the 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of set up, you know, you do it, some people do like Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon. I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of stuff too, right. but we did Friday night, and this is probably back in 14. Or, I want to do another one. I was going to do one, then the COVID thing happened, but it was it was like every call we went on was a bad situation, mm-hmm. a, a horrible, like there was no good, it was one night. And I remember the one we went on, they, and I've talked, I did a podcast with, uh, um, Jeremy Conkling, he's a, the head of the Anchorage Police Union. He's mm-hmm. a co- cop in Anchorage. But we went to this house, and somebody had called about a domestic violence situation, and it was we were kind of in the you know Tudor Spinard area. I guess they all have like squares they patrol and right. patrol. So uh, they put me, they, I'm wearing kind of camouflage, you know, or like khaki pants and a shirt, button up shirt. And they put they put like a bulletproof vest on me, and I'm thinking I'm going to sit in the car and just watch. So we go to the door and the guy's like, come on, come on. He's like, yeah, just stand by the door. He's like, if something goes down, just like hide behind the house. I go, what? So what happened was this woman, uh, the neighbor called the cops because they were fighting outside. They go inside. They're knocking on the door, trying to do a welfare check. They wouldn't open the door. I'm kind of watching this all happen 15 feet away. And they finally open the door and they get in. And it was pretty clear that he had been, you know, hurting her. And they were drinking and then they run it, they run him and he's got, you know, felony DUI. He's, you know, call the parole officer. But at some point, so then I walk in the house, they, they told me to go in the house and I go in there and I'm wearing this, this bulletproof vest and I'm wearing, you know, slacks. Mm-hmm. And she's like this fucking fed. Why is there a fed in my house? And she's just yelling at me. 
And then she starts yelling at the cops because they're trying to help her because mm-hmm. she's getting beat up by this guy. They take him away. I mean, every other, we went to this party. It was like 5 a.m. These people were partying crazy with their shirts off. It was summertime. And, you know, they tried to, like, there was other cops there. And I thought they were going to, I mean, that's one night. And mm-hmm. it, like, impacted me. And I'm thinking, now you have all this stuff. And luckily, it's not really up here. But this, like, defund the police and this kind of anti-cop mentality. And, you know, it's like people can have problems with cops until they need one. And these, I mean, every, every interaction that night was a negative interaction. And that was one night. So I can't even imagine how doing this every day for 20, 30 years... It takes a toll. I mean, it really does. And I think that's why a department has to have a really good wellness program. And I know that our departments come a long ways in, you know, trooper wellness or taking care of our, our troopers. And um, because they see the worst of the worst. I mean, there's certainly re- rewarding days. But when you're going call to call like that and you are got people in your face not happy to see you, um, it, starts, it starts wearing on you. And I would recommend it you if you ever want you can go out to the valley and do a ride along out there i'd love um, to do that yeah i'd love to do that be a little bit different because where in your case you probably had several police officers respond in the valley you might have two for the same type of situation or you may buy by yourself um it's just that's, that, that's just reality you, you mentioned before all the guns in the state that's a scary part if you're pulling somebody over i mean you pretty, pretty much just have to assume everybody has a gun basically yes you just you assume that because Pretty much everybody does here in Alaska. Especially, you know, more remote you get, more rural. Um, so I mentioned when I was telling that story about this kind of attitude in the last couple of years, this defund the police or this anti-police mentality. I don't think we have much of that up here. But are you, I mean, does that have any impact or is that affecting officers or kind of how people work now? You know, I don't think that Alaska has, has that movement. And fortunately, um, I think we have really tra- good trained police officers that are steady in their, their jobs, um, like they do in the lower 48. I know that we've attracted several laterals from the lower 48 coming up because they don't like the situations they're in in, in rural America, if you want to call it. Um, so, so it has an impact when people see it on, on TV here in Alaska, but it's, it just hasn't generated yet, and hopefully it never will. And, I mean, some of the stuff you see in like San Francisco or Seattle, where they're basically decriminalizing theft under a thousand bucks. You know, you see these videos of these people just, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, crime run amok and no, no one, I mean, I don't think anybody, the, the crazy thing is when you talk about defund the police, the, the communities, I think that, that mo- most are in need of police are the, you know, com- communities that, that are most, you know, affected by this stuff. And that's what it seems to me like when you, you pull out police in some of these areas that are relying on their police, whether they like them or not. They're the ones that get victimized at a higher rate than somebody living in suburb um, Chicago or some other places. You look at the homicide rates in um, New York, Chicago, a lot of those cities are just skyrocketing because nothing's getting done or very little. You earlier uh, referenced community policing and I think the, the, the Bobbies in London. I know there's been a lot of talk lately in this country in Alaska too about especially in Anchorage, getting back to more of a community policing where when somebody sees, even me as somebody, I'm, you know, law-abiding, I've never been in trouble, but whenever, you know, there's a cop behind me or you see, you know, you kind of, oh my God, am I, am I speeding? Am I doing, you know, it's, right. it's always that, like, kind of a little bit nervous when, you know, when there's, when you see a police officer sometimes, especially when you're driving, you know, how, how do, how do we, that's probably a big question, but like more community policing, um, what, what's, what are some, your thoughts on that? Well, I know Anchorage Police Department 
relies heavily on it, and um, I certainly applaud their their efforts. And, and I know that Chief McCoy was really involved in it, and I'm sure um, Chief Cole, is it Cor- Carl, however you pronounce it. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that you know, we're we're kind of different because you know we don't we're not we we're not a police department. So you know our outreaches and stuff for and our our process of communicating with our our communities is a lot different than Anchorage because we're not just all based in Anchorage. We're based all over the state. Um, as an agency, first of all, it's important that we engage with our our citizens because they're the ones that we actually serve. And when you take these jobs, you understand the importance of providing that service to 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 each of your communities that you serve. And you know, I we try to specifically we focus on more of our rural Alaska communities and sending troopers in, having them spend the night in the um, in the villages, and hopefully continue to grow that as we continue to get more troopers because we try to assign each trooper troopers to each to a village that they stay in they may have five or six villages like in um the bethel area we got 56 villages that we service you know with maybe about a dozen troopers so we try to give them but have that trooper go to that those villages and not keep bringing in other troopers because the more interaction they have with the 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 community the more information we get and it's you know information is critical um to not only to the for police police can only be as good as the citizens that we're serving if they're willing to provide the um the information then we can we can act on that information um last thing i want to ask is so your your predecessor had no kind of law enforcement experience and you have a ton of law enforcement experience and i think she was the only one who had never commissioner who wasn't former trooper law enforcement what's what's um you know i guess the morale and the rank and file what's it like uh, is there a difference now having somebody like you who they know and you've been around for a long time versus somebody who didn't have any law enforcement experience? Well, first of all, I think that's a loaded question. I don't know that I'll... Well, I, I don't mean to be loaded. I, yeah. I just mean, I know there was some con- concerns by a lot of the folks who they wanted, you know, there was the, the need, the desire to have somebody that they could right. I guess, relate to. So. Yeah, what I'll do is, you know, I'll just focus on what we're doing right now. And I see a lot of momentum in our department, a lot of optimism in our department. They know the legislature supporting them based on conversations we're having, feedback we're giving to our troopers. Everybody knows the governor's real supportive of the um, of our troopers. I think PSCA just the, the trooper union has endorsed them already. Um, so when you get all these factors, we're, we're buying new equipment, um, we're replacing our p- police cars. Um, so when you start adding all these things together we've got some really good momentum are there some are we facing some setbacks absolutely our our vacancy rate is too high we need to get that down to a manageable level between three to seven percent right now is it's it's above that um we need to continue vacancy for uh trooper positions trooper positions we need to focus on recruiting more more troopers and get more people on the road and continue to grow our department. Same with our VPSO program. Um, I've seen more optimism in our VPSO program because I, I think there was some, some decisions made that wasn't um, support of the VPSO program prior and we're changing that tune um, to, to elevate the importance of the VPSO program. We're actually moving the direction into the commissioner's office. That way we can make sure that the, 
the grantees are getting the support they need to put VPSOs in, into their villages. Um, so I think morale right now is, is continuing to grow, and it will continue to grow as long as we grow as a department, as long as our politicians support us. And, and I, I just see good things happening if we, keep the, if we keep going the direction we're going right now. I, I know in Anchorage had a big push to get more officers. I think they ended up, over, over the course of several years, it maybe was 80 or 100 more officers. That took a long time. And you mentioned earlier 315 to, I think, 415. So how long, I mean, what's the time horizon on that to get to that that number? Well, I'm looking at, you know, the next three to five years to get us up to that level. You know, we'll, we'll need the positions, we'll need the funding for the positions, and then we need to hustle full court press our efforts to hire more. And then we got to do a better job of taking care of our troopers because what we don't want to do is see a trooper that we've trained at five, six, seven years and then end up going somewhere else. And sometimes they just have family issues. They have mm-hmm. to take care of a parent or something. But those things, we, you know, we can plan for retirement. We can plan for that kind of stuff. But when a trooper just decides after five, six years he's had enough, that we can't plan for. And the only way we can ensure that we can retain our troopers is, again, we need more bodies on the street to give them more support. They don't have to work as much overtime. They can take their summer vacations or winter vacations. They can take personal leave to go see their kids play hockey. Um, right now, we're not allowing them to do that because we we're short, short staff. But once we're allowed to give them what I consider more freedom from the job um, and provide them the tools necessary, the support necessary, we'll retain them. Because there's nothing better than being an Alaska State Trooper. It's so rewarding, but it's getting around the other stuff. I mean, when I have a sergeant call me from Western Alaska and saying he's down 80 cases, how do you? And then he's got more cases coming in. I've got troopers in the valley that's holding 100 cases or more in their queue, and they're they're getting more cases every day. So we turn from being um, proactive, solving crimes, just reactive and taking reports and nothing gets done. It's not satisfying for our troopers and it's certainly not satisfying for our police. So in our current budget, if you look at it, we're, we're asking for a lot of support staff to support our troopers to keep them you know, engaged in the field and then include some of our increased resources in rural Alaska too. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you too about the 911. I know that's been an issue for a while, the 911 and there's there's... Some, the governor was working and there was a f- task force and um, this is kind of another issue that we face in Alaska with these rural situations or if a cell phone even if you're down 911 and being able to get to the right person and then having them find you is that still on, I mean I know there's a technology issue with the telecoms and um, using even GPS lo- location is that still working its way through and is that is there some improvements on that it's certainly an issue but I think we'll have some really good um, I guess really good information coming in the next few months. We're um, partnering with the telecom to provide those type of service where we have phase two, phase one, um, 911 services for when they do call from, say, Emonic, that when it hits our pipeline, it goes to Fairbanks because that's our, our centralized dispatch for rural Alaska. It'll have, it's a 911 call, it'll have the guy guy or gal's telephone number and then we can get a geolocation for that person so we're working on it steadily every day um and again we've been partnered up with a telecom to try to make that work we're going to focus and right now and this could change as um as much as we change things but we're going to focus <clears throat> first in 
southeast and then kind of our highway system. If that works, we'll, we'll filter it up to more of our rural area. So we are working on it. Um, we're dedicated to getting um, 911 service because not only does it protect the folks that are living out there, it also um, provides an ability for us to respond to, to the area as quickly as we can. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Commissioner. You've been, what, about a year? Is it not quite a year? Or? Not quite a year. April 6th will be a year. So you're coming up next month. Next month, yes. What, what, what you, what, what's it been like, last thing, being Commissioner versus you were head of the trooper, the troopers and the wildlife troopers, but now you're kind of, is it, sure it's, it's a lot different, but it's also you've been around this stuff for a long time. It is, and, you, you know, I think I prefer the colonel position more because I get to interact with, the troopers a lot more than I do now. I feel a little bit out of touch because I'm not day to day talking to them, dealing with, with the issues that they're on with, but it's been a um, privilege. I, it took me a few months to figure out my niche. I wasn't a Colonel or nothing. And um, what's, what's your, you're just commissioner. I mean, do you have a rank or no? Uh, I don't know. As far as your uh, uniform. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uniform by our OPM says I got to wear four stars. So that's, that's why I wear deputy commissioner wears two. It's like, that, that, it's like Patton. It know? is. <laughs> but you know, I, you know, I've never taken rank as a big deal. It's just more responsibility, whether it's the Colonel or this job, it just gives me more responsibility. When you first became a trooper at 22 and somebody said, you're going to be commissioner of department of public safety in, I don't know, 40 years or something. What, what, it wouldn't happen. I didn't, I went, well, I didn't actually promote to a sergeant. I think I had 11 years on, but my whole career, I was not going to promote. I was going to stay a trooper. I loved doing the grunt work. And, um, and then I ended up taking a sergeant's position and kind of went from there. So it's very, uh, very Alaskan story. Yeah. I, well, I, I consider myself Alaska. We moved in, in Alaska and, what, like 1960. My dad joined state police back then in 1963. Went to Glen Allen during the earthquake. Spent time in Toke. Back to Glen Allen, Fairbanks. Sitka, my dad was instructor at the academy for four years. Um, went, rose to the rank of lieutenant, um, overseeing the crime lab when we had a commission person at the crime lab, the, which is the, now the old crime lab, but he, he oversaw that for a couple of years. You must have been, uh, I guess, a kid during the earthquake, right? I was, yeah. The only thing I remember of that was we were state housing. In fact, our my mom was the dispatcher for my dad. We had a jail cell on, just off our house. She was a dispatcher? Yeah, there oh, in wow. Glenow. That's all we had. That seems, that seems like nowadays no, they, 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 they might not do that. No, they wouldn't do it's that. conflict. This, <laughs> this is 64. I remember, the thing I can remember is... The house shaking and my mom chasing my brother in a crib because he's four years younger than I am, trying to catch my son across the room as the you know as the house is going crazy, and then wasn't four hours later my dad was heading up to um, to Valdez because the tidal wave took out Valdez and he was there for several weeks. Wow, yeah, I can't even I think about that 2018 when I was home and it was like terrifying and you think about you know that was a minute and a half it was it was like five minutes in '64. Right. Of that. Yes. Worse even. So <laughs> and think about the old housing and stuff that we had. We were in a DOT a Department of Transportation camp just coming into Glen Allen just across Mooch Creek back then. It's gone now, but the old housing that was built probably um, back in the fifties or so. And so you, you grew up real kind of remote out there in Glen <laughs> Yeah, I graduated from Glen Allen. Um, you know, played ball there and um, no I, Glen Allen I still consider Glen Allen my home. I remember I got when I first moved here I was used to 
05 or 06, my friend had a, a car business in Juneau, so I drive cars sometimes, you know, take them on the ferry. And you, is it, is it, I got, I got pulled over once in Glen, is that hill or when you kind of come out, come in and there was a trooper white, boom, got yeah, this. Like yeah. my, my, one of my only speeding tickets was under Glen Allen. <laughs> He, yeah, he got me. Couldn't be my On, dad. He was gone. I think. In yeah, it was probably probably oh oh six or oh seven. But. Yeah. Well, Commissioner Cockrell, thanks for coming uh, in. I really appreciate talking to you. It's been a really good conversation, and um, best best of luck on the job. And well, hope we'll be able to do this again. Yeah, no, I, sure. I like doing this. You guys should start the the trooper. You do a trooper podcast. You know, you could, we could do that. Start interviewing all the troopers. Yeah. I'm sure they have well, a lot a lot of stories. Well, first, let's see if anybody's interested in listening to me, and you can tell me what the numbers are. At it's, the end. It'll probably be like the uh, when I did the ride along. I kind of figured out. I, I was told they have like ride along officers. And then not right along. Yeah. <laughs> you probably have certain ones you want to yeah. put on the radio and maybe other ones. I will say, I'll give you credit for the um, time you went into the Solvents Center this, this winter in the article you wrote. Oh, yeah. I thought that was um, pretty good on your part. And, and um, I know that had to be a little bit scary. With well, what you're seeing. It was. I mean, to, I mean, to go back now, there's a new kind of management of it. And I, I hear it's actually not improved uh, from some of the folks I've talked to, but. That's um that's another one where you you know you, you you look at the mental health element of a lot of this and I don't think we do a maybe maybe we do a better job in other places but you know officers they aren't usually trained to deal with mental health problems and I think sometimes when you when you introduce a, a criminal or a, a public safety or a law enforcement element to a situation that really needs mental health we don't we don't really do mental health in this country we don't have people that are trained to show up to deal with them and then everything gets worse and a lot of the people in that place were very very mentally disturbed and it, um, well, that's another area the state suffers from is providing adequate mental health services to our people. Um, I testified on, um, two bills from house yesterday on just the effects of mental health and, um, getting treatment during a crisis where the police don't get involved and arrest somebody. Um, so, so certainly there's some discussions on it now. And, um, but we, again, we have to, there's a couple things state needs to continue to do. We need to continue focusing rural services to rural Alaska and rural law enforcement service to rural Alaska. And we have to face our drug and alcohol addictions and mental health. Yeah. Well, you know, you have your work cut out for you, commissioner. So appreciate you coming on and we'll do it again sometime. And I really enjoyed talking to you. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, thanks commissioner. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.